What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we're talking about the beginning of the NBA playoffs, including a couple of big upsets, all kinds of drama in Major League Baseball, the announcement of the SEC football schedule, and a fan favorite segment is making its comeback. We got our friend Bookie Betts giving us the stinkers of the week. Episode 10 coming at you right now. everybody and welcome back. I'm Landon Pangburn along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. Believe it or not, we're already in double digits. Today is episode 10 of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. P, how you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to talk some NBA playoffs. It's had kind of a March Madness feel to it so far and it's been a lot of fun. I am admittedly a big overreaction guy. I'm quick to pull the trigger on certain phrases like panic mode and must win game. So I'm already there on a couple of these series, but um, yeah, excited to talk about it with you. It's been fun. I have been loving the day basketball. I I admittedly didn't think I was going to be able to watch the games just because of work, but I've been fully distracted. There are a few things better than uh, kind of being along the ride with some friends on bets and going full fist pump at 3.30 in the afternoon for a Nikola Vucevic defensive rebound. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we're the same way. Me and all my friends have been taking these player prop bets, which I feel like are all sucker bets, but we've done okay so far. Um, up until today, we took a bet on Joe Harris for the Nets over um, or under 25 points plus assists plus rebounds, and he had 15 rebounds, which I think is a career high for him. He averaged like four on the season, so that was tragic, but uh, hopefully we'll bounce back. Yeah, Joe Harris going full Dennis Rodman is unexpected. Yes, you absolutely hate to see it. Um, But yeah, before we jump into kind of analyzing game-by-game NBA playoffs, um, I want to talk about guys who are no longer in the playoff bubble. Um, Did you see that Devin Booker was spotted hanging out in Malibu with Kendall Jenner? Yes, uh, he is joining a very, very uh, high-class all-Kendall Jenner team. she's She's got quite the starting lineup over there. Um, who else does she have? Ben Simmons, D'Angelo Russell, Blake Griffin, Devin Booker. Um, I forget who the fifth is, but it's a squad. That's pretty solid. Yeah, it could compete with like the second team All NBA guys. It's, yeah, it's legit. Yeah. So I guess my question for you, based on that, is how will you remember Devin Booker as a basketball player? Like, are you saying right now, like he's still very young? Well, he he's a promising young star, but if he's gonna you know go down that road, his career is essentially over. I mean, personally, true. I'll remember him as you know when he scored seventy in a game, um, being the captain of the Bubble Suns, just this really promising young star who just went down the wrong path. You're saying this is signaling the beginning of the end of his career? Um, yes, I mean I'm not at the point where I want to have a candlelight vigil for him, but we're close. Okay, so going under in the Bubble Suns next year is what you're saying? Yes. Okay, deal. All right, well, let's go ahead and start talking about some of these games, beginning with the one versus eight seeds, because that's the lead story, is that both eight seeds beat both one seeds yesterday. Uh, Let's start off talking about the Lakers versus the Blazers. Blazers knocking off the Lakers in game one. What'd you see there? 
Well, first of all, I just can't believe that this happened. Before the playoffs, people were talking about how, you know, maybe we'd see more upsets than normal this year, just because you don't have any home court advantage. Um, So there's really no difference between the four and five seed or the three and six because you're not getting four home games. Um, So for there to be eight games the first two days and two upsets, but the only two upsets were the one eight is just so ridiculous. I can't even fathom that. But anyway, yeah, Lakers Blazers, um, the, the Blazers came out hot, got out to a lead Lakers chased him down in the second half made it a game went up six with I think like four minutes left and then just totally choked it away um Anthony Davis did not play well LeBron had like he, I think he became the first player ever to have 20 15 and 15 yeah, in a playoff had, game he had 23 points 17 rebounds six, 16 assists first player in NBA playoff history with at least 20 15 and 15 that's crazy it is crazy you might disagree with this but one of my takeaways from watching this game is as much as I, I love LeBron the point guard because I just think he's incredible in that role, I find it frustrating that he doesn't go to the rack a little bit more. Like I, I just I keep finding myself as I watch them wanting him to shoot or take it in a little bit more because he can't just continue to rely on guys like KCP and Caruso. Yeah, I mean, the recipe for a long time for LeBron teams has been give LeBron the ball and surround him with guys that can shoot threes. But the way the team is right now, they are, they're not shooting well enough for that to happen. They were 5 for 32 from 3 yesterday. KCP was 0 for 9 from the field, including 0 for 5 from 3. Caruso had two points in 29 minutes. I mean, given the lineup that they had on the floor, I feel like I agree with you. LeBron needed to start going into score mode rather than point guard mode. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned five for 32 from three. I mean, that's 15.6%. Um, so granted, they're they're due for some natural positive regression there, which should help them for the rest of the series. But um, I did see today that in the eight seeding games in Orlando before this, they shot 30% from three during those eight games, which was dead last of the 22 teams invited to the bubble. So this wasn't just some one-off performance. I mean, it's a real problem for them. It is a problem. And I also don't want to fully blame this on the Lakers being bad. The Blazers deserves some credit too. Uh, Dame's still playing great. He had 34 yesterday. CJ McCollum had a good game. Nurkic had 16 and 15. Like they're playing well. Um, it's, it is kind of weird. You mentioned a March Madness feeling. I find it strange how I think the sense of urgency is down a little bit. Like these teams that lost game one, which would normally be a home game, don't feel like they now have to go on the road and win one like normal. It's just they've got six more games on a neutral floor to do it. So I feel like it's just a different feel falling behind early in the series. But um I I think the Blazers have a good shot at winning this one. Yeah, they might, uh, which is not good for our bet that we have on the um, over-under six games, but I kind of thought about it today. I'm not sure we specified that one team had to win. I, I meant to clarify that last last episode. Now I'm so sad that I didn't because the Blazers might win in less than six. They're really good. The Lakers look terrible. Right. They look horrible. But I mean, if the Blazers win in five, who knows? We might have to go back and listen to the tape. I might I might pull out the W on a technicality. I'm going to throw my red flag on that one. All right. Well, let's talk about the other one versus eight seed, uh, a game which is the Bucks versus the Magic. That game was just weird to me. I, I caught most of it. And it was strange because I feel like the Magic just straight up outplayed the Bucks most of the game. It didn't seem like fluky. It didn't seem like a game they didn't deserve to win and snuck it out at the end. They just played really, really well. What'd you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I think that uh, the Magic Center, Nikola Vucevic, showed up pissed off. I mean, he probably heard for a couple weeks how much he was going to get torched by Giannis, who's back to win his you know second MVP in a row. Um, he came out, shot 15 for 24, had 35 points and 14 rebounds. Incredible performance, uh, career game for him. So yeah, I mean, he, he gave them trouble and they came out and stole game one. 
He's one of the more underrated players in the NBA, in my opinion. He's not some like fluke that just had a great game. He's a 20 and 10 guy during the whole regular season, the last two years. I mean, that's a really good player. And I was watching it, and uh, I mean, he had five threes as a center. And I also remember watching one play, and he caught the ball on the block and did like a drop step lefty hook over his right shoulder. It was beautiful. Like, he just had a great game. And then Markel Fultz looked good. He didn't put up crazy numbers, but he had 15 points and six, uh, six assists, and he was just all over the floor. I mean, they're not going to win the series. It's, I just don't think it's going to be close. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks win the next four, but I'm happy that the Magic won this first game because that makes things a little bit more interesting. It does. And before we leave the Magic and start talking about the Bucks, I just want to make one more note on Nikola Vucevic. So I saw last night, I don't know if you follow um, Rob Perez on Twitter, Worldwide Wob. Um, he's just a, a big NBA Twitter presence. And he referred to Damian Lillard at the end of the Blazers-Lakers game as Wilt Disney. And I feel like uh, that's a good nickname for Vucevic. That's sick. Yeah. I like that a lot. The big man for the Orlando team, that's got to be Wilt Disney. Yeah, it's very like heady, nerdy, only NBA guys would would get it. But for those NBA guys, I love that. Exactly. Huge fan. Yeah. So um, that's the last note on Vucevic. And moving over to the Bucks, I found this uh, performance very frustrating as well um, from a coaching perspective. We talked about when we were previewing the NBA playoffs, talking about how impressive Giannis's stats were for only playing 31 minutes a game. Um, and then they came out and played him, I think, 34. 34. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their second best player, Chris Middleton, played 31. It's like they got down early. They kept coming back. And as soon as they would start coming back, Coach Buddenholzer would pull Giannis. And they did it in the fourth quarter, I think they were down like 15, came within six, and then he pulls them for three minutes. Like, I get it during the regular season when you're trying to rest him for the playoffs, but the other day during game one, it was like someone needed to tap button holder on the shoulder and say, hey man, this is the playoffs. Yeah. We are here. Seriously. What are you doing? Yeah, generally you have one rotation for the regular season and then that rotation significantly shortens in the playoffs so that your best guys, you know, your whatever your seven, eight best guys get all the minutes and no one else does. I feel like they need to be playing more than 31 and 34 or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you there. Yeah, so I, I do expect the Bucks to come out strong and win these next four games, but we'll see. I mean, if I'm going to be overreaction guy on this one, it's already got me thinking, I don't know if this franchise is ever going to be good enough for Giannis to win there. Um, and I'm already thinking about his 2021 destinations. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm very intrigued as always by this three-point defense that is their kind of Achilles heel. Yesterday, the Magic went 16 for 41 from three, shot 39%. It's going to be something to keep an eye on for the duration of the playoffs. Yes, it is. And now let's move on to the next series. Let's talk about Nuggets Jazz. Um, so this is the one that kicked off the playoffs at 1.30 on Monday. Absolutely incredible game. Back and forth. Ended up in overtime with the Nuggets winning 135 to 125. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had a career high. Great game. What'd you see there? Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's performance was incredible. He had 57 points, which is the third most points in a single game in NBA playoff history behind Michael Jordan and Elgin Baylor. That's quite an impressive list. I think there were a number of guys at like 55, 56, but getting up there to 57, the third best game ever with how many games and how many great players have played in this league. That's just incredible to me. Yeah, so he's one of many young stars in the league. He had 30 points uh, today, fast forwarding to game two. Um, the, The Jazz just absolutely boat raced the Nuggets today to even the series at one. Did you see much of that game? Yeah, it was a fun game. So, I mean, Donovan Mitchell in addition to Jamal Murray, and then we'll get to him later, but Jason Tatum. One of the reasons that I love the NBA playoffs is because I think it's the platform for guys to make the leap. Like these guys are all already well-known as really good players. 
but this is kind of serving right now as their transition to superstardom. All three of those guys just look awesome, and I'm so excited to see what they do in the future. Yep, and Jason Tatum, your boy. I mean, he just looks scary. Oh my gosh. He might be kind of the next anointed superstar in the NBA, but sticking on this Nuggets Jazz series real quick, Michael Porter Jr. could be another one of those next kind of young superstars in the league, but uh, he didn't help his team too much today. I mean, he had 28 points, but they still got blown out. So this series is 1-1. Jazz evened it up, and they've got Mike Conley reportedly maybe coming back for game three. So that could be huge for them. Yeah, we talked already about how Major League Baseball is loaded with young players and has just such a bright future but the NBA is the exact same way there's so many great young guys the Nuggets as a whole played pretty terribly today there was there was not really anybody except for Michael Porter Jr. who played well but even in garbage time towards the end when they weren't really caring anymore he still looked phenomenal he's got a great outside shot he's a big dude I mean he rebounds the ball well he's he's such a talented young guy Yes, he is. But yeah, it's good to see one of these series kind of get to 1-1. This could be one that goes the distance. I'm, I'm really anxious to see how this goes. Uh, like I said, with Conley coming back, with the Jazz building some momentum there. But um, yeah, while we're talking about these young stars, you know, budding superstars in the league, uh, who better to talk about than Luka Doncic? So let's move on to Clippers-Mavs. What'd you see in game one in that one? I mean, it's weird because the Clippers won the game and they're clearly the better team. But Luka has to be the lead story there. He is phenomenal like is he already a this is crazy is he already a top five player in the nba like he's so good i wouldn't go five but But, like but the fact seven ten exactly the fact that you have to like split second think about it it's even like it's even a question he's 21 years old he's he's so good who did he get drafted behind marvin bagley and deandre ayton yeah and then the hawks traded down third pick when they could have had him like i'm sorry we're 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 from atlanta i'm sure there's hawks fans listening to this that will forever forever be a bad trade that's just (sighs) but at least they got trey young like Trey could be a star too. He's really good, but he's not Luca. Luca is transcendent. Well, they got the extra pick. Cam Reddish, don't sleep. <laughs> I have one. Marcus, if you're listening to this right now, I'm sorry about Cam Reddish, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the story. No, you don't know the story. He was just, I was watching the draft with him and he was just dogging on Cam Reddish the entire night. Just talking about how terrible he was and, and all these guys they should have picked over him and they took him. So Yeah, well, maybe that wasn't the best trade. But anyway, Luca, game one, set an NBA playoff record uh, with 42 points in his first playoff game. Most ever in someone's first playoff game. But it, it's worth mentioning, he also had 11 turnovers. Yep, almost uh, had a triple-double. Almost had a quadruple-double. Right. <laughs> 11 turnovers. <laughs> five in the first three minutes and I mean that was part of the reason they got down 18 to 2 so maybe some early playoff jitters uh, but this one was one of the weirdest games I think I've ever watched it was kind of like a tale of three games like I mentioned Clippers get up 18 to 2 Mavs storm back with a 30 point swing to go mm-hmm. up 50 to 36 um, and then in the third quarter Kristaps Porzingis gets ejected with a second technical foul with three minutes into the second half um so it kind of fell apart from there and they ended up losing i think 118 to 109 so clippers up one game to nothing yeah i mean kind of what we said in the last episode and what we expected a little bit a lot of competitive games and i still see that going forward i think these are going to be close competitive games but in the end the clippers are just too good 
Kawhi and Paul George both had really good games. Kawhi had 29 points. Paul George had 27. Lou came off the bench with 14, which actually brings something to mind. We talked about how huge the advantage is for the Clippers in terms of second units, but the bench points were almost even. The Clippers had 25 and the Mavs had 24, so that was close. It's just those two stars for the Clippers are a lot to handle. They are, and the Mavs have two stars too, but they just don't have as much beyond that. So I, I don't expect this to be too long of a series, but the Mavs have a promising future ahead of them. Yes, they do. Well, let's talk about the series you are most looking forward to coming in, and that's the Thunder versus the Rockets. Womp, womp, womp. The Rockets. Yeah, the Rockets are just fascinating to me. Like, no matter how many times I watch him, I am still, every single time, just in awe of how talented James Harden is on offense. Plus, the Rockets shot 52 threes, which is absolutely insane. And I think it's just funny how they will give James Harden the ball and spread the other four guys out, two on the wings, two in the corners, and they stand completely still. Like so much so to the point that one time Daniel House was in the corner and made a back cut and he had already scored before the other team even realized he had moved because they just never move. They're <laughs> they just stand still. Right. They're just statues out there. James Harden, just king of the ISO. I mean, it's unprecedented the way that they play offense, but it was Kendrick Perkins that uh, tweeted out something about James Harden that he had 37 points and 11 assists on, I think, 54% shooting, mm-hmm. 46% from three, and no one said a word about it. I mean, we're just accustomed to this level of greatness from James Harden, and he hasn't done it deep in the playoffs, but he's just an offensive machine. Yeah, and I remember watching, especially in the first half, they kind of caught fire towards the towards later in the game. But in the first half, aside from the assists that he did have, he had a lot of great passes to wide open three-point shooters that just missed. Like, he could have had way more than that. I mean, the guy's just phenomenal on offense. And then on the other side, the Thunder's three-guard trio kind of let them down with Chris Paul, SGA, and Dennis Schroeder. Chris Paul had a great game. He had, I think, 20, 10, and 9. He gives like one assist short of a triple-double. But I think SGA and Schroeder combined for only 15 points. I do expect them to come back strong and make this long series, but disappointing first outing for them. Yes, it was. And they just, my concern with them is they looked completely disoriented defensively. Um, You know, Harden with the ISO and then just all their ball movement, them shooting the threes from the outside. The Thunder just had no answer for it. And I think that they were missing uh, their starting shooting guard, uh, Lugans Dort came on towards the end of the season down the stretch. I mean, he's a, a rookie shooting guard out of uh, Arizona State, good two-way wing. I mean, he, he was playing really well for them, and he's out with an injury, maybe back for game two, which could help them, but they looked lost. Yeah, Lou Dort's a good defender. I, I mean, I would expect when he's back, they would put him on Harden at least a little bit. Uh, one thing that we expected to happen did happen, and that's that the Rockets got out-rebounded by a pretty considerable margin. I think it was like 46 to 36, but they just make up for it by bombing those three balls and won pretty comfortably. Yep. And then one last thing I want to note on this series and game one of it. Um, did you see the Rockets defensive strategy putting Eric Gordon on Steven Adams? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's strange. I mean, I'm trying to think of the reasoning. I guess they don't have anyone that's that ideal to guard him. I mean, it's all the same kind of guy, essentially. They don't. I mean, I don't know if the mindset is maybe to kind of invite that a little bit, just make them play from inside, only take twos while they take threes. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I it's mean, not, like, not like the Thunder shoot a whole lot of threes anyways, but yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. It's uh, something I'll be keeping an eye on in future games. Yeah. So moving on to the next one, we've got Celtic Sixers, um, which is actually game two in process right now. We are watching it. What are you seeing in this series? Well, we already mentioned him, but Jason Tatum is just such a stud. I cannot believe he went behind Markel Fultz and freaking Lonzo Ball. That is, that's going to go down as a bad one too. 
He's he's a monster. He had 32 in game one. Jalen Brown had 29. It was just really tough wings to stop. The Sixers already had to make a big adjustment and bench Al Horford just because they've got Embiid at the five guarding Daniel Tice and Horford can't guard any of these wings for the Celtics. I mean, J- Gordon Hayward went down. I almost said Jason Hayward. Gordon, <laughs> Gordon Hayward went down. Um, but he can't guard Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, so they got to bring him off the bench. I mean, it's bad when you're already having to shuffle your starting lineup because of huge mismatches after game one. Yes, there were huge mismatches, and the only mismatch that works in the Sixers' favor is Joel Embiid, and they need to exploit that a little bit more. I mean, he had 26 and 16 in game one. We're watching game two. He's got 22 and seven so far at halftime. I mean, they just did not feed him the ball on the block enough in game one. They need to start doing that a little bit more, and it's working so far tonight. Yeah, they fed him early in game one. He was five for five with 11 points in the first quarter, and then for whatever reason, they just went away from him. I mean, he has a dominant mismatch over Daniel Tice. I mean, he's going to get all those guys in foul trouble. Nobody on the Celtics can guard him. So that's their only chance. Got to do it. So now let's talk about my boys, the Miami Heat against the Indiana Pacers. What'd you see in game one there? So the Heat went up 1-0 behind Jimmy Butler. Uh, He led them with 28 points. My problem with the Heat, I mean, I think that they're going to win this series against the Pacers, but moving on to the second round, I just, when I look at them, I just think kind of back to Jimmy Butler's Chicago days. Can he be the number one guy on a championship team? And my answer is no. I mean, I don't mean to look too far ahead, but it just doesn't excite me that much. I just don't know if they can hang with the big boys. I know that they're your guys. What do do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably just blinded by the guys who bomb threes just because I love it so much and it's near and dear to my heart. They're a good team. I mean, there, it wasn't that long ago that Goran Dragic was kind of a lead guy on like a decent team. Like he's a good player. He took over in the fourth quarter and had 14 in the quarter and finished with what, like 24 in the game. I mean, they've got two all-stars. They've got a bunch of shooters. I'm not saying they're great. I just think they're going to win this series. And then I think they'll test the Bucks and lose to the Bucks in the second round. There at least there's something to get excited about. Yeah, that's fair. And while we're talking about heat and you mentioned the Bucks in the second round, I, I hate to keep bringing this up prematurely, but that's my prediction. Giannis destination 2021. That would be fun. I think that would be an awesome fit and just a really, really fun team to watch. It's just not a good enough team to where it would be frowned upon. Like yeah. the whole KD thing. Exactly. But it's just the perfect pieces in place. Yeah. I, I mean, if that. you're starting lineup, what would it be? Dragic, uh, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Giannis, that's yeah. nasty. That's disgusting. You got a few good guys off the bench there too. Tyler Hero, you didn't mention him. Yeah, it's a fun team. Um, another big note in this series is that Victor Oladipo went down with an eye injury after only nine minutes, which really just depleted the Pacers who were already down an all-star in DeMontis Sabonis. It is expected that Oladipo will return for game two, which is going to be a huge boost. I expect them to at least make a little bit of a run in this series and challenge the Heat, but I still think the Heat are going to win, like I said. Yeah, and I don't really want to talk about the Pacers anymore. I might fall asleep, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the Pacers are not very exciting. I loved the uh, TJ Warren prop bet. Uh, it was rebounds plus assists over under seven. Oh, wow. That's low. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty low. Yeah, he, I guess he's just mostly a scorer. He scores and pretty much just takes the rest of the game off. Yep. So moving on to the next series, Raptors Nets. Uh, the Nets got absolutely smacked in game one. What did you see in that game? The Raptors are awesome. I'm going to say it every single time we have an episode. The Raptors are so sick. They're up 2-0 in the series already. In game one, they had seven different guys in double figures. They went 22 for 44 from three. I mean, with the kind of defense they play, if they're shooting, if they're making 22 threes in the game, you're pretty much screwed. 
after they had seven guys in double figures in game one, they had three guys with 20 or more in game two, and that doesn't even include Pascal Siakam with 19. They just, it's so spread out. It's so, you know, they're so well constructed. Like I say every time, I just love that team. Yep, you mentioned three guys with 20 points in game two and Siakam with 19. Game one, uh, point guard Fred Van Vliet had 30 points and 11 assists. He continues to be more and more impressive on both ends of the floor. I mean, the Nets are depleted. They're just simply overmatched in this series. This is going to be a sweep. Yeah, I think so too. It's just cool how guys essentially on that team just step up in the roles they're needed in each game. I think in game one, Serge Ibaka had like 20-something points, and then game two, he barely scored because he was focusing on rebounding and, and defense. On the other hand, Norman Powell, I think, had like six points or so in game one and then came back with in the 20s in game two. You just never know what you're going to get from each guy in each night, but as a unit, they're great. And that's a sign of a good team when different guys can step up and they can beat you in multiple ways. So they're scary moving forward. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet, leading scorer in both of the first two games. That guy's about to get paid this offseason. He is. You can't spell Van Vliet without elite. You can't. I mean, thinking back, that Wichita State team was sick. They were so good. Clay Anthony early. And Ron Baker. Don't forget Ron Baker. Can't they were good. They were awesome. How far did they, they go to the championship? They lost to Kentucky, I think. They were dope. They They were were good. The Shockers. Love it. All right. Well, we're about to bring back one of our fans' favorite segments. But first, we're already on episode 10. I just wanted to throw it out there that if you've enjoyed our podcast so far, please follow and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. And any ratings or reviews that you could leave us would be super helpful just to get this podcast out to more people. Thank you so much for doing that in advance. And with that, it's time for Stinkers of the Week. Bookie, be gentle. Welcome back to the second session of Stinkers of the Week, boys and girls. I'm your host, Buki Betts. These Stinkers of the Week are brought to you by the 8-No Bubble Suns. Good luck next time, tryhards. Today we are going to dig into some amazing stinkers across the NBA and MLB and even get to poke fun at one of our lovely hosts. Now let's kick things off. So you know the hosts of Shoot Your Shot Sports love watching sports, but did you also know one of them is an absolute stinker at sports betting too? He put in my top stinker of the week, and here is why. So the bet was a parlay of Bucks money line versus Raptors and Jazz money line versus Mavericks on August 10th. So the first sign of this was a stinker bet were the rosters that night. Giannis, Kyle Lowry, Luka, Porzingis, the Joker, Jamal Murray, and Donovan Mitchell were all out of these games. What a psycho. And the reason they were out of these games was because the teams had nothing to play for. They were all in the playoffs, and seating was basically set at this point. I was absolutely flabbergasted by this bet just for those two reasons alone. What animal is confident enough to get, like, minus 250 odds on the money line of just one of these games, let alone parlay two of them together? So as expected, both bets lost by a mile and dubbed this parlay a giant stinker. Now to the second stinker of the week. So I feel bad about calling out this brother tandem because they are such faithful and well-paying guys that just keep coming back to feed me stacks. But they got cocky, so now their stinkers are getting exposed. A few weeks ago, these two learned to love the classic no-runs-in-the-first-inning baseball bet, and I'll admit, they won a good chunk of change for me. They even bragged about getting their new espresso machine. Real cute, boys. But the betting karma gods struck next period and told them to R-E-L-A-X with their discount double checks because, boy, did they lay some no-runs-in-the-first stinkers. Over the two weeks, these bros put in 18 no-runs-in-the-first bets. For you math nerds, yes, that's greater than one per day. Their record over these 18 bets were 4-14. and 14. 
<laughs> these guys were batting just over 200 on these bets. Just absolute stinkers. Try watching the whole MLB game, you lazy asses. And now for the third and final stinker. Oh, boy, here comes my sig in mouth, beer in hand, all-time quarterback, and in honor of the return to college this month, my old freshman year hallmate. You knew he was going to have a stinker here soon. This bet involves the first two games of Braves at Marlins series on August 14th and 15th. This guy comes out hot with a pretty high-value bet on the Braves' money line, who were favored, and the Braves get absolutely dismantled night one by the Marlins, 8-2. to two. So that's a pretty bad bet alone. But to make it a true stinker, he doubles down and bets again the next game. But this time he puts in Braves minus one and a half. And what did you know it? The Braves win two to one and don't cover. (laughs) Uh, Don't you just love the sound logic of ripping the money line the first night then doubling down with a minus one and a half the next night? Wow, what a stinker. Well, congratulations, Bookie. You're fired. Yeah, that was tough. A little harsh on us there, huh? All right, well, let's move on over to baseball now. We've actually got a lot of drama, really just two kind of different drama-filled scenarios going on. The first one involves Fernando Tatis Jr. For the Padres, who was playing against the Rangers the other night, Padres had a pretty big lead. I think it was a seven-run lead towards the end of the game. I believe it was the eighth inning. And he comes up to bat, bases loaded, 3-0 pitch, and he just goes oppo taco, hits grand slam to put the Padres up 11 runs. And the Rangers were not too happy about it, both during and after the game. They were kind of complaining, talking about how it's an unwritten rule not to do that. What did you think about this whole scenario? I kind of hated it. I'm not an unwritten rule guy. If a rule is good enough, it should be written in the books and everyone would abide by it. But yeah, both managers, both for the Padres and the Rangers, kind of reprimanded it for it. Um, his own manager said he ignored the take sign on 3-0. Uh, the Rangers manager got pissed about it. So I don't know. A lot of players came to his defense, which I really liked because I just don't think that we should be suppressing any excitement in baseball. It's a game that needs excitement, needs young stars. So I don't know. What was your take? Yeah, the same thing. I mean, Fernando Todd Jr. might be the most fun, young, exciting player in baseball. And plus, the game's still going on. This is not like some high school Bush League thing. You're not like, I mean, you are embarrassing people, but it's their fault. They're getting paid to play baseball and to get 27 outs. You got to make them get 27 outs. The game's not over yet. Like, hit away, in my opinion. I don't don't understand it at all. Right. And with baseball, it's very frowned upon to not run out a grounder or not, you know, hustle on a play. So telling people to stop trying because they're up by a certain amount of runs late in the game just seems contradictory to that. Unwritten rules just in life are a weird thing. I've I've become recently aware of some of them. It's just strange. What you got? Okay. So this is a weird one. Just thinking about this. When you're walking down the road and you make eye contact with somebody and you want to acknowledge them, <laughs> you go heads up if you know them and nod down if you don't know them. Isn't that weird? And it's and it's universal. Like if you walk down the road and someone that you don't know nods up at you, you're like, who is this guy? Like, does he know me somehow? Okay, I see what you're saying Isn't there. Isn't that weird? What I thought you were going to say is the face that everyone makes when they walk by a stranger. Like when they get in an elevator and you see someone, you do like the, the like no teeth smile type thing. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do know what you're talking about. There's a meme of that kid doing it. I got to show you it. It's funny. But anyway, back to Tatis. Did you see that the next day uh, they were up 6-0 against the Rangers and he stole third base? Yes, and it was ridiculous, too. It was like, well, first of all, obviously, stealing third base in that situation is completely unnecessary, but he had a crazy slide. He got called safe initially, and then they challenged it, and then he was still safe. Yeah, but anyways, 
it was, was a, it was a crazy play. I just like the principle of it. It was just his way of saying, "Hey guys, I give zero shits about you reprimanding me for breaking unwritten rules." For sure, yeah. So one interesting note that today, coming into today, Fernando Tatis Jr. was leading Major League Baseball with 11 home runs and was tied for the Major League lead with six stolen bases. So naturally, because I'm weird, started wondering if anybody had ever led the major leagues in both home runs and stolen bases in the same year. And believe it or not, it actually has happened before. Most recently in 1932, your boy boy Chuck Klein for the Philadelphia Phillies did it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Was that Frank Gore's first year in the NFL? (laughs) It probably was. And then I thought this was really cool too. Willie Mays actually led the National League in home runs four different years and led the National League in stolen bases four different years, but they were never in the same years. That's impressive. Yeah, I would have thought that, like, who were the last guys to do 40-40? Would have thought maybe they did it, or even Acuna at some point last year. Yeah, you would have thought so, but nope. All right, so before we move on to the next bit of drama in baseball, I just want to mention one interesting note. Uh, The other day, national second baseman Luis Garcia became the first player born in the 2000s to hit a home run in Major League Baseball. What do you think about that? What, What were you doing in 2000? In the year 2000, I guess I was in like fifth grade. Um, I was I was a gator at that time. So before I came around to being a dog, I was a Lake Windward Wally Gator. Um, I wasn't I wasn't doing a whole lot in 2000. So I was nine. You were 11. Are, yeah. are you in elementary school when you're 11? Yeah, I think you're in fifth, fifth grade. Fifth, 11, right? sixth. Yeah, fifth. I don't know. I'm just trying to think back to 2000. Yeah, if I was nine years old, I think that's like fourth grade. So I think I went to a Backstreet Boys concert that year. George yeah. W. Bush got elected. I didn't vote, but <laughs> I think most people were like boarding up their uh, win, like their windows and doors, and like storing water in the basement for when all the computers reset for Y2K. <laughs> I always thought that was the most ridiculous thing. Like the all the computers in the world are about to crash, so you get like canned beans, <laughs> water, yeah, and duct tape your windows. Is that's going to help anything? Yeah, that that'll be great. Yeah, I love that. All right, another piece of Major League Baseball drama was the Cleveland Indians. It it came to be known that on I believe August seventh after a game in Chicago that starting pitchers Zach Plezak and Mike Clevenger decided to go out to a club or a bar or whatever and it later was found out by teammates and I guess the teammates like started a mutiny against them basically saying or at least one of them said that he was going to opt out for the remainder of the season if those two guys remained on the active roster what you got there so I saw that it was one established veteran is what they called him said that he would opt out of the rest of the season if those two guys were allowed to come back and play for the Indians and my initial reaction was that it was 100% Carlos Santana uh, he's kind of a, a fiery guy Indians first baseman do you remember the whole story with him a couple years ago with the Phillies give it to me So he spent his first eight years of his career with the Cleveland Indians in 2018, left for one year to go to the Philadelphia Phillies. And it was the year where the Phillies, like they got out to a decent lead in the National League East, uh, were set to make the playoffs with like a month left and then absolutely collapsed. I think they lost like 20 out of the last 25 games or something crazy like that. And there was an incident in the clubhouse and he was interviewed about it um, because he had apparently gone through the clubhouse with a baseball bat and smashed like three or four different TVs. So when he was asked about it, um, he was basically saying uh, that the team had been playing too much Fortnite and he was really frustrated about it in the midst of their losing streak. And he was like, this was his quote. I see a couple players. I don't want to say names. They play video games during the game. We come and lose too many games and they weren't worried about it weren't respecting their teammates or coaches or the staff. It's not my personality. I'm angry because I want us to be good. 
That sounds like the guy who doesn't welcome back the teammates for uh, going out in Chicago and putting the rest of the team at risk. It does. I, I low-key love that. I mean, we played in the same fantasy baseball league for like 10 years. I've, I've since retired. But the reason I didn't want to tell you all this, my secret is leadership in the clubhouse like that. <laughs> I won I won six out of 10 years. It's because I had Carlos Santana every year. I have guys that want to win on my team. Well, did he ever smash any of your TVs? Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's what happened to the TV that went, went missing in 2011 from our house in the station in Athens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most likely. All right. Well, the last thing that we wanted to talk about today was that the SEC released this season's football schedule the other day. I know you saw it because you sent it to me before I saw it. So what'd you think about it? So the first thing I looked for is something that we mentioned in our last episode about Arkansas getting the super tough draw on yes, their schedule. Brutal. So they open up with Georgia and then the last five weeks of their season go Tennessee, Florida, LSU, Missouri, Alabama. Just is an absolute gauntlet. Um, so that's going to be a nightmare for them. And then, of course, obviously we looked at the dog schedule. What do you think about the dog schedule? Yeah, I just think overall my biggest impression was it's just so NFL-like in a way where you're used to in college football having a, a week one cupcake a lot of the times. You have these down weeks spread out throughout the season, so you always have someone easy leading into big games or whatever. It's going to be so interesting having just like back-to-back-to-back to back to back tough games. I know the dogs start off with Arkansas, which shouldn't be too big of a test, but then you go, what, Auburn, Tennessee, Bama the next three weeks? Like, that's just really tough, and it's going to be, it's going to be a, kind of a grind the entire season. It is, and it's just weird because you become accustomed to your team playing against certain rivals at the same point of time every season. So playing Auburn week two instead of like week eight, nine, Mm ten, whenever it usually is, is just strange. Um, So hopefully they're ready for that week two matchup. And then one thing I was happy about is playing Bama week four. I remember that we had a question from uh, one of our mailbag participants about, you know, who would be at a bigger advantage with that being week one. Turns out it didn't play out that way. So hopefully... Jamie Newman and the Georgia Georgia offense can kind of get it together over the first three weeks and have a couple tune-up games before they roll into Tuscaloosa. Yeah, huge development for me as well is that one of my boys is getting married on October 31st this year, which was Georgia, Florida. It is now the bye week. Oh, that's huge. So big. Your friend planned that. Yeah, (laughs) Corona. All right. (laughs) Unfortunately, though, I I actually have two weddings the next weekend. So one on Friday, one on Saturday. But, you know, we'll make it work. Yeah, it's going to be a big shuffle with all the the weddings these next couple years. But we'll figure it out. All right, y'all. Well, we appreciate you listening as always. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've already got 10 episodes in the books. Share it with your friends. Come back and see us soon. Have a good day. (laughs) 